0: Isaiah chapter sixty. Uh, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago. An unbearably beautiful picture of the future that God's planning for His people. We called the sermon the goal because it it talks about the 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 new heavens and the new earth. We talked about when the goal would be realized, and we said, well, it's it's far in the future. It's the new heavens and the new earth. We talked about how. The goal will be realized in chapter 60. It talks there a lot about a beautiful community, a magnetic people, a city so glorious that the whole world wants to come to it. And then we thought about what was at the heart of it all. In the end, it's not the people themselves. The goal of this beautiful community at the end of human history is to draw people to their beautiful God. Any beauty that we have as the people of God is a borrowed beauty. Anytime a person's attracted into our community, it's really important that we don't let them stop here, but that we draw them to, to the living God, to Jesus Christ, the beautiful one right at the heart of the community. This evening, we're in chapter 61 and 62 if chapter 60 was about that new heavens and new earth right at the end of history, chapters 61 and 62 bring us back a wee bit uh, into some images, some ideas that we can see of God's work in and transforming history. What I'm going to do this evening is we am going to start with chapter 62 and work backwards towards the opening verses of chapter 61. By the way, we, you'll notice that we haven't had a Bible reading yet. If you've been here for some of these Isaiah evenings, what we've done is we've, we've read chunks of Scripture as we've gone, and we're going to do that just now. going to read chapter 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a sh- blazing torch the nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory and you'll be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You'll be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you'll be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah for the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married as a young woman as a young man marries a young woman, so your builder will marry you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you i 've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem they 'll never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord is sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm. Never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies. And never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, And you will be called, sought after, the city no longer deserted. It's wonderful. Um, It really occurred to me during the week, but even more so this afternoon as I was finishing my work on this sermon, how our two services together complement each other. If you were here this morning, you'll have heard Dr. Jerry Root of Wheaton College in Illinois Talking from 1 John chapter 3 on the subject of God's love. He said that he, well, he prayed that it might be the kind of sermon that would still be with us in years to come. I think that's a possibility. The opening verse of 1 John 3, he said, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us! It's wonderful to see how this passage continues talking to us about God's love. Folks, I, I can only imagine this is a message God wants us to hear at this point in our journeys. Because in Isaiah 62, Isaiah used a couple of the most personal, most tender images available to any human author to talk about God's longing for us. Isaiah tells us two things. He tells us that God wants to marry us and that he wants to give us a new name. Notice that God wants to marry his people. Verse 5. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. Feels a bit muddled at first. Who, Who is this? Is he a bridegroom or is he a builder? And the answer is both. God doesn't want to just build Zion. We've thought about that in some of our previous chapters. He wants to marry her. You see, we know that Jesus Christ is the builder. Isn't that what he told us? He said, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades won't overcome it. But he's also the lover. The husband par excellence. Isn't that what Paul said about Jesus when he was teaching husbands how to love their wives? He said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It's a warm and a vibrant kind of a love. Isaiah says so in the second half of verse 5. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Folks, I think there's a lovely balance here. Christ, the loving builder. Yes, Jesus wants to build his church. He wants us to do that along with him. We should engage in evangelism. That is to reach out to more and more people who have never yet heard of Jesus. We should build them up uh, as we disciple them and build a, a larger and a stronger church in Jesus' name so that every person becomes a living stone. But he's not just a builder. He's a lover. He's a husband. And so if we've understood Jesus well, we're going to be people who are growing deeper in our love with God. As I heard Jerry preach this morning, it struck me that struck me again that unless we know our identity unless we grasp that we are loved we'll struggle to love other people we'll struggle to offer them the love that that we could but as we are transformed ourselves by the love of God we have experienced, we turn into the kind of people who can pass on that love to others. So God's going to marry his people. It's a wonderful picture of God's plans for us. But, but there's more here, says Isaiah. He's going to give us a new name. And it's a thread that runs right through the chapter. Look at verse 2. You'll be called by a new name. That the mouth of the Lord will bestow. Verse four, he gets a little more specific about these names. No longer will they be called, no longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you'll be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. Now, Hephzibah, that's not a name that, well, I've baptized a lot of children here, but I've never, well, haven't had a Hephzibah yet or a Beulah. The NIV is very kind here and footnotes both of those for us. So if you glance to the bottom of the page, you'll see it. Hephzibah means my delight is in her. So that's how God thinks about his people. Doesn't just tolerate us. Doesn't just coexist alongside us. He delights in us. I find that Astonishing. We make him smile. Beulah just means married. And we've already noticed that. So these names are reinforcing what we've already seen. That God is going to marry his people and he's, he's delighted in them. By the way, this, this stuff about names, that's very important. In Jewish culture, Giving somebody a new name is not a trivial thing. You maybe know this from other points in the Bible where a person's name has been changed. When you change a person's name, it talks about a change in their identity. It's not a superficial thing. It's a a very deep thing. God's people, they were once deserted by God and desolate. They're now his bride and he delights in them. Verse 12, just for a few more names. Have a look. It's jaw-dropping. Jerry did a thing when he was preaching this morning about the love of God where he, he just repeated three times, God loves you. And he took a bit of time and he wanted to make sure that that landed on us. So I'm reminding you of that. But I also want these names to land with you. Verse 12. They will be called the holy people. I don't know about you, but I don't feel holy. I could live for a thousand years and I don't think I'd be ready for that title holy I don't think I'd choose ever to use that name for myself but I don't have to because he gives it they'll be called a holy people the redeemed of the Lord our family family went to see the latest Star Wars film just before Christmas time Uh, The rise of Skywalker. At one point, that movie had me in tears. Now, if you know Star Wars films, you're thinking, "What? Like, how can a Star Wars film? There's nothing." It was when Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren is the villain of the the modern trilogy. It's when, towards the end of that third film, he turns from the dark side. He's redeemed and he's brought back to the light. I just loved it. And I I realized that I always love redemption. There's nothing I love more than to see a person brought back, turned around from darkness to light, from death to life. I love that I've been redeemed. And I love it when other people are redeemed and when they get to experience it and to know it. Folks, this is who we are. We are the redeemed. We're no longer deserted, says Isaiah. We thought about that in some depth when we looked at chapter 54. It was a a chapter about the rebuilding of the city. But look at the last name. You'll be called the sought after. This is bringing us to the same territory as we were this morning. To be loved by the living God. What's Isaiah talking about here? What does it mean to be longed for or sought after? Isn't it that way that your heart skips a beat when the boy or the girl in the classroom looks across the room and you realize that it's you they're looking at? Isn't it that experience of first love, the first time someone asks you to be their boyfriend or girlfriend? Or husband or wife. It's all of those experiences that we have had. But it's more than that. It's all of those experiences we haven't had to. All those times when we longed to be longed for but weren't. They're all in that name. I'll give you a new name. The Sought After. By the Living God. Apple of my eye, the Lord says. Desire of my heart. Folks, I could die a happy man thinking on this stuff. One last thing about chapter 62. Yes, he says he's going to marry us. He's going to give us these beautiful new names. You might have missed this. Did you see the stuff about the watchman there? Beginning in verse 6. The Lord says that he's posted a watchman. He's given them a job. He says, you who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. He appoints these watchmen and he says, your job is to call out to me. Do it tirelessly. Call out on me and make me keep all of these beautiful promises that I'm making. In fact, he goes beyond that. The Lord does something quite remarkable here. He gives these watchmen permission to keep at him. To bug him and to pester him until he keeps these promises. Till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Folks, maybe there's a moment here when we can try to bring what we heard this morning and what we're looking at here in chapter 62 together. I wonder if there isn't a question for us all here. An invitation and a challenge. Are we pestering God? Are we like Jacob? Do you Remember? wrestled with God, said, I won't let you go until you bless me. Lord, I don't want to live without you, without an intimate knowledge of your love on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour basis. I'm going to pastor you and pastor you and pastor you until I know it. Folks, let's give him no rest until he shows us his love. We're going to split our thinking in two. Um, We're going to sing a song just now and break this sermon up. And then we'll come back and look at chapter 61. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice, you became nothing, poured out to death. Let's stand. We're going to be a little bit quicker in chapter 61, but look with me at those opening verses. With someone speaking here, they just come onto the scene. We're not quite sure who it is. No one introduces him. He speaks for himself. Speaks without arrogance, but with complete authority. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me. Whoever he is, it feels like he's important. We've met him before in the book of Isaiah. Back in chapter 42, verse 1, the Lord says of this servant, I will put my spirit upon him. Way back in chapter 11, verse 1, we're told the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So this person who's emerging here in chapter 61 Seems to be the Messiah who was promised in the early chapters of the book, but also the servant who we met in the middle chapters, chapters forty to forty five. He's a Messiah servant figure who's coming in now to usher in this kingdom of God in all these ways we've been thinking about this evening. I said at the start that Isaiah 60s come to me a couple of times since I preached on it a couple of weeks ago and I showed you that ridiculous uh, thing. Last night, it came in another beautiful way. Last night, I pulled my copy of Jesus of Nazareth, the DVD, down from the shelf. I wanted to introduce Ruby, my 13-year-old daughter, to Zeffirelli's 1977 masterpiece. I I was five years old at the time. I think I had a sense of it being on TV. Do people remember Jesus of Nazareth on TV? Probably weren't allowed to watch it because it was on a Sunday, is that right? Robert Powell as Jesus. It's over six hours long, so I I knew we'd be watching it in bits and pieces. I said to Ruby, do you want to watch a bit of this with me? See what Zeffirelli does. And I was intrigued, how is he going to start this story of Jesus? The very opening scene, he takes us to a small synagogue. Probably the synagogue in Nazareth. He's a rabbi reading from a large scroll, sharing these words with the congregation. Arise, shine, for your light has come The glory of the Lord rises upon you. Zephirelli wants to create an expectation, a context for the coming of this baby that he's about to show us in the next few scenes. And he takes us to Isaiah chapter 60. Zephirelli knows that these chapters are all about, pregnant with meaning, all about Jesus. But let's not take Zeffirelli's word for it. How can we be sure that the figure in Isaiah 60, 61, 62, how can we be sure that this is Jesus Christ? Flick with me for a second in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, page 1031. Luke chapter 4. We read there of an occasion Early in Jesus' ministry, he's, he started his preaching and healing ministry. He's returning to his hometown in Nazareth. His ministry's been a huge success. We, we know that even from our studies in Mark's Gospel this last while. Huge crowds go with him wherever he goes. So whenever he comes home to Nazareth, it's the most natural thing in the world that the local rabbi invites Jesus to come and to teach in the synagogue. They ask him, Jesus, which scroll should we pull for you to read from? He says, Isaiah. They hand him the scroll and he starts unrolling it. Imagine a wallpaper. Really, really long roll. I don't know if he he maybe started at the end. But he's scrolling, scrolling, scrolling until he comes to chapter 61. And then he reads these words. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is crucial. When Jesus of Nazareth goes to his hometown synagogue, when he's invited to preach on any passage that he wants, he chooses this passage to read, these verses to preach, And he does it because he knows by now who he is. He knows his identity. Even before he'd been born, he'd been foretold as the Messiah. Early in his ministry, in the baptism and the temptations, he shows that he's ready for suffering and for servanthood. Jesus is Isaiah's suffering servant, Messiah. So he reads these verses. He rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the synagogue attendant and says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This passage, he says, is all about me. I'm not going to try and preach this passage this evening. I'm going to point out a couple of things very quickly about chapter 61. And then we're going to finish our reflections with a story of how the body of Christ today is still living out the vision that Isaiah gave that Jesus accepted as his own calling but then has passed on to his church. So Isaiah, this spirit-filled servant that he's talking about, this spirit-filled servant tells us some wonderful things in chapter 61 of what the Lord's going to do through his people. Look at verse 6. He says, you'll be called priests of the Lord. If we know our Old Testament, that, that promise jumps out to us. It's the promise that God the Father had made to Isaiah, or to Moses way back in Exodus 19. As he'd constituted the people of Israel, he said, You will be for me a kingdom of priests. No matter how much they've failed, even after the exile, he says to them, You're still going to be priests. This is who you are. Look at verse 9. He says their descendants will be known among the nations. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. That's the promise to Abraham coming true. Way back, Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham, he promises, I'll make you into a great nation and they'll bless you. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The promises to Abraham the promises to Moses, all coming true through this Spirit-filled servant of the Lord. Those opening verses in Isaiah 61 are some of the most beautiful in the whole Bible. Look at verse 3 in particular. Look at the three insteads that there are in that verse. Instead of ashes, a crown of beauty. Instead of mourning, oil of gladness. Instead of a garment of despair, a garment of praise. Instead. Eugene Peterson talks about this. He says that instead is a gospel word in this verse it talks about how Jesus comes to change things. Instead of what they are, he makes them what they could and in God's purposes always should have been. I wonder, folks, do you need a an instead do you need God to change something? from what it is to what it could and should be. We're going to finish this evening by hearing about some ways in which the body of Christ today, in our world today, is bringing about these reversals that we read about in Isaiah 61, verse 3. Some remarkable ways. Dan's going to come up and share as we close our reflection on this part of God's Word. Thanks, Dan.